Welcome to Affiliate Marketing Millionaire, the official podcast for the number one affiliate marketing channel on YouTube with over 36 million views and counting. Here are your hosts, ODI Productions and Kit Thatch. All right, welcome back to another episode of Affiliate Marketing Millionaire. Today, really exciting topic because we're going to be talking about how to pick the perfect niche for you. This is something we see a lot of people make a lot of mistakes on, whether they're picking a niche based on what someone else found success with or just picking the wrong one. And it's something that can really set you up for failure before you even get started. So today, we're going to talk about how to evaluate a niche, what makes a good one, how to balance passion versus profit, how to pick the perfect one specifically for you. And we're going to give you a list of some amazing high-ticket niches. So before we jump in, just going to turn it over to your host, ODI Productions, for a quick word from our sponsors. Thank you, Kit, for the intro. Before we jump into today's episode, here is a message from our sponsor for today's episode, which is JetPage, the easiest way to start up an affiliate marketing website in seconds that is optimized for Google SEO out of the box with no maintenance required. Visit JetPage.co to see how customers are using the platform to generate millions of Google Search Console impressions in less than a year. Click the link in the podcast description or Google JetPage to try it out for free and get your website in seconds. All right. Awesome. So, Odie, I think let's just jump into it. I think a great place to start when it comes to picking niches is sort of that age-old question of do you, some, do you do something you love? Do you do something that just makes money? And I think this is where people are kind of only evaluating based on those two metrics, maybe oh, what do I love or what makes, what makes someone else money instead of, I think, looking for the sweet spot. So love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, choosing the right niche is so crucial. You choose the wrong niche to start your business, and I want to highlight and emphasize the keyword here, business. Choosing the wrong niche, you you know, your business will be dead on arrival um, no matter how well you execute, no matter how good your strategies are, no matter how hard you work. You choose the wrong niche and it's just not profitable, then you know, you're doomed to begin with. So that's one thing that, you know, we need to try to stress here is that Yes, at the same time, you know, passion versus profit is what we're debating and discussing. And for me, what worked for me, which may not work for everyone else, is that I went with something I was passionate about to start. And I wasn't thinking about the market. I wasn't thinking about profitability. I wasn't thinking about money per se. I was thinking about, hey, I want to, you know, start this website recording now. I want to do something with home recording. Um, I am passionate about home recording. That's kind of what led me to that niche. And that became profitable. Now, was it always profitable in terms of the market? Yes, but at the same time, it's not like I really did a lot of research. And is that the biggest market out there? The answer is no. It is definitely not nearly close to being one of the evergreen health, wealth, fitness, relationships. It's not close to being as high ticket as those, but it was able to create a full-time passive income um, with affiliate marketing alone and you know with the YouTube with some ad revenue with other ways to monetize it became a real business and there was enough of a market for sure now it just wasn't a trillion dollar market like insurance you know let's be honest here headphones as big as they are um, is just a minuscule fraction of all of these evergreen niches that are just much much bigger um, and they have higher profitability now with that said your niche just has to be profitable so that's almost like a threshold type question of like is your niche can you make it profitable now some niches are 10 times more profitable than others that's what that one thing i discovered when i transitioned from doing headphones to doing something like web hosting 
and web development where there was just much higher commissions. That was almost like a 10x jump overnight. And so this is actually something I talked about in the free course that um, I had released, but hadn't really, you know, we haven't really quite officially announced it quite yet, like on the YouTube and stuff. So if you want to check that out, go to odiproductions.com, click the get free course button. There's hundreds of people in there who've been, you know, getting so much value from it. And they've been emailing me um, telling us, you know, how much they're enjoying the free training. So go check that out. Um, but when it comes to profitability, I really think it's like, it's very simple. Most niches can become profitable where you can make a full-time living. You can make, let's say, over $3,000 a month just from affiliate commissions alone. There's many, many, many niches like this. Now, if you have kind of higher sort of goals and targets where you want to be making millions of dollars, that's where you might need that 10x multiplier for your affiliate commissions. Again, me jumping from... Now, to be honest, if I had kept up with the headphones, I think that could have grown um, as well. It just wouldn't have grown as fast. And I don't think the ceiling is quite as high as, you know, again, like something if you were selling like credit card offers, insurance, if you were selling web hosting, things like that, where again, let's say one high ticket pair of headphones, you're making maybe $15, $20. Let's say you sell um, web hosting and you make $100 or more. Just, you know, it's, you don't need to do as much volume to get more profitability and you'll be doing the same amount of work at the end of the day. Now, some people may hear that and just be like, okay, I'm just going to skip over to, I'm just going to skip all the low ticket stuff. Let's go to the high ticket stuff and let's just jump right in. Um, but obviously, you know, if you cannot compete, like you don't have the skills to compete because these are very competitive markets. Um, the things that are more low ticket may not be as competitive. So it's all about kind of finding a sweet spot there. Uh, but at the same time, we've had people who just, they heard like, oh, you're doing headphones. I'm going to do headphones. It's like, okay, well, for me, you know, I didn't start out with all these pairs of headphones, but I did start out with a foundation of like knowledge of music and producing music, right? And so for me, I felt like I was qualified to a degree to kind of make this kind of content and I just enjoyed it. I like this, you know, kind of uh, examining sort of the frequencies and, um, you know, the sort of more of the nerdy side of headphones when the average person would just not even know uh, what you're talking about. So I've seen some people, you know, they just, they're like, I'm going to do the exact same thing you did. And that obviously is not going to work. You know, uh, honestly, like it's, and that's because I am kind of obsessed with it. I'm passionate about it. I'm knowledgeable about it. Uh, was I like the world's expert on headphones when I was like a college kid starting up my first website? Definitely not. But I had years and years and years of music uh, production knowledge that I was able to apply uh, pretty, you know, directly to this sort of content. And I was able to describe things in a very detailed way, I feel. Um, and based on like the how the content did in terms of, uh, you know, the views on Google and also on YouTube, I think that I was able to provide good value. And that's a question you have to ask yourself. What is a field where you can provide substantial value, where you deserve to make sales, you deserve to get paid, you know, for your content? And I think headphones are actually, it's a great example of how you should think about passion versus how some people do. Because some people would have said, and we've talked to people like this, have a passion for music. So can I write a blog talking about the new mixtapes and new albums that come out? And it's like, uh, yeah. well, you can, you know, like there's lots of interest I have that it's like, okay, well, if, if I want to just do that for fun and start a blog about history or music or something, that's cool if that's a hobby and I'm not trying to turn that into a business and hey, maybe down the line I get millions of views and it works. But sort of thinking, okay, 
What's like, go one step further. Okay, you like that. What do people buy in that industry? And then even getting more narrow, because sometimes people throw a bunch of things in where they're like, oh, okay, music. So headphones Mm -hmm. and keyboards and guitars and drums. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, each of those instruments is like its own niche, actually. And each of these things is its own, you know, niche. Like, you know, the bass for, you know, classical versus jazz versus like all different types of stuff. So making sure that when you look at sort of passion, you really figure out, like, think like a business. And, you know, Odie, I know you pivoted more to headphones because that is who's buying yeah. right now. Yeah, actually, that's a really great point. So even before headphones, I was kind of more general and just doing home recording equipment. This includes audio interfaces, USB microphones. Now, now today, those things have become much more popular with, you know, work from home and people just getting more hip to, you know, utilizing these kind of peripherals. But for the most part, it's headphones where I even saw kind of like a, you know, a three to four X jump in sales and views and revenue for my own business. So I decided, I decided to zero in on just headphones. So that's kind of funny because, you know, there are all these jumps that are kind of like a 10x jump, a 3x, a 4x jump, just going like either sub niching down or going to another industry where it's just higher ticket. And, you know, again, it's when you mention like a site for like reviewing actual music, it's like, the only way I see monetizing something like that is through ad revenue, getting millions of hits, and also through some sort of um, sponsored posts like, hey, can you review my mixtape? I'll pay you like $5,000, $10,000 if you feature me on the site. It's like, okay, I'll review it. I'll be honest. You know, I'm not going to like sugarcoat anything, but I'll, I'll take your $5,000. Um, we'll post it, you know, on the homepage for a week, and then we'll see how many hits you get. So you know, again, it it depends on the business model. Since our business model is affiliate marketing, we're selling products. We are selling these products that, again, you know, it depends on the price of the product. Like the headphones that we're making the most commission, we're obviously going to be the more expensive, you know, $200, $300, $400 pairs of Bluetooth headphones. Now, I was selling some headphones that were in the $100 to $150 um, range and uh, below that, such as the Audio-Technica ATH-M50X. And, you know, those had good volume because a lot of people were buying them who were not buying like the $300 pairs of Bose and Beats headphones. So it is interesting. You can make up for that with some volume. But again, like a $100, $150 pair of headphones, that's still, you know, a lot more expensive than like a $20 pair or a $30 pair. There's a whole, you know, gamut of how expensive this equipment can get. On the flip side, there's even more expensive headphones that could be six, $700. But again, how big is that market? So I hope you're seeing a pattern here that we're discussing the market. We're discussing actual economics here because you're getting sort of the trickle-down effect of that. And that's why when you're looking at a niche, it does help to go look at the industry. How big is the industry in terms of billions of dollars? Um, you know, And who are the major players in that industry? And then going look to look at their affiliate programs, how much are they paying per commission? How much are they paying, whether it's a percentage, whether it's a fixed amount? Um, And then you can kind of reverse engineer some numbers of like, okay, if they're paying $50 per sale and I'm converting like at a 1% conversion rate, which is just like kind of average, then I need to get X amount of visits per day in order to make this amount of sales. So, mm -hmm. and I also think Thinking a few steps forward, like like your business, how businesses think, which is, okay, if I'm selling this product via affiliate marketing, I need to make sure this is a product people buy online. If mm-hmm. this is a product people like to buy in store, actually, or like the iPhone, people go, hey, people buy phones all the time. I'm the affiliate for iPhones. Well, one, Apple often closes its affiliate program. I don't even know if they have one right now. Two, 
people aren't really, most people who are buying iPhones aren't actually even bothering to look it up. They go into the store and they get them that way. They get it from Costco, all this stuff. So you have to really think, okay, where this product, hey, I think I found this cool market. Okay, well, where are people actually getting them? If it's something mechanical or something, you know, some niche piece of equipment, maybe people are going to actually contact the manufacturer directly. So you have to really see, okay, are people buying this online? Yeah, exactly. So another just concrete example is art. So we've had some people, again, this is like kind of run of the mill. We've had people come to us and we've helped so many people choose a niche just to start with or choose, you know, a more profitable niche if things are not working well. And one is like, for example, art. And if you like art, you know, you have to apply it to somewhere where people can actually purchase a product or service or software. Um, That's how you're going to actually be able to monetize something like this. That's very, you know, again, like credit cards, insurance, that's very cut and dried, but art and these things are, you know, kind of more, I don't know, um, you know, not very like concrete, like they're kind of like more passionate and stuff like that. And plus for a lot of music is free, right on Spotify. So it's not like you're going to be an affiliate for like albums and stuff like that. You know, people don't buy CDs, people stream music now. So, you know what I mean? Like you're not going to be monetizing off that. Um, so art is an example where kit, you know, if someone were to say, I want, you know, I really like music, I like art, what should I do? Yeah, I think that's one where you have to, you know, it could just be something that goes, hey, you got to find something else. It could be something where they go, hey, I'm a graphic designer. I really love mm-hmm. art. I love drawing or just I love drawing. Okay, well, you know what a niche in that area would be is, and I've seen actually a lot of these is, hey, people trying to transition to a career in graphic design because there are a lot of people always looking for help getting into artistic careers. So if you already have a career doing graphic design, great, you can be an affiliate for courses, for software that graphic designers use and things like that. So thinking one step ahead and thinking, okay, well, where where's the point of sale? Where are people, what are people actually buying? Because just going, hey, I'm going to do jewelry, you know, on a small like sort of trinkets or like, hey, I kind of, you know, it's just, that's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. So adding on to the graphic design, you know, Adobe has an affiliate program. So that's, that's where your software comes from. Then if you like to draw using those tablets, then you can, you know, have your tablet, you can do some sort of showcase, whether it's on YouTube, whether you write about it on your blog and you can show people, Hey, look at me drawing this thing. And then they're like, Hey, what are you using? You know, I'm curious, like what kind of tablet you're using Um, and all these things. That's how you kind of pivot to a more affiliate marketing focused thing, rather than just being like, Oh yeah, I like art. Uh, you know, and there's no business behind it. There's no actual sort of strategy. So now let's talk about what a good niche is. What does a good niche, you know, include? And let's start by the first one, which is, you know, you can have a niche that is small, but with people who are willing to spend money. And obviously, you know, the more money, the better, but you just need to have people who are willing to pay something. Now, going back to music, people are not willing to pay for like albums and stuff like that anymore. That's just not how the business model even works for the artists themselves. Why would it work for you, you know, where they're only getting paid royalties on the streaming through Spotify, et cetera? Why would you get paid being an affiliate for that? I mean, there's no more money left after like the royalties and what Spotify takes and the record labels, et cetera. So the first one is people who are willing to spend money and it can be a small niche as long as they're willing to buy things. So again, like 
you know, if someone's willing to buy a tablet that's like $1,000 and there's enough of those people, which there are, because a lot of people do like to draw, right? There is a market there. You just need to find the best way to sort of monetize uh, and jump on the products that are like the most high ticket, the products that people are doing a lot of research for, um, you know, before they're making the purchase decision. The next one for a good niche is you need to have some level of expertise or experience. And now, Kit, like, this is when I don't want to scare people off and have them thinking like, oh man, I need to be, you know, again, like a college professor level before I exactly. even like write my first piece of content. What was some advice that you have here for people who are feeling almost like, almost even like imposter syndrome of like, oh, I can't talk about that topic because I'm not the world's expert. Yeah, I think, so I think one of the good things is a lot of things in the digital space, expertise is shown just by you creating all this actual content to demonstrate your knowledge. There's not, you know, there are some obviously like health um, and wealth, there are official certification for those things and, and proof and things like that. But for other things, for different softwares, for different products, demonstrating you have knowledge, even if it starts by you going, okay, I need to have some level of expertise. Okay, I'm really interested in this. I'm going to go learn and I'm going to go shoulder the burden of research, you know, like um, Mark uh, Marquise Brown, Brownlee, who does all the tech stuff mm -hmm. he didn't start as like okay well he's a world famous cinematographer and now he's reviewing tech gear he just started reviewing tech gear and because he gave really good reviews over time he he built up this huge following and expertise so you can build up expertise and it's one of the great things where if you're picking a small niche it's way faster to show expertise because you can cover every angle and people will feel like oh they're talking to me i i don't know if the software is right for my specific use and this person is telling me that hey you know for zookeepers who code this is the perfect thing you know and and so just you can build that expertise and i think something people really don't think about is at your current job you might already yeah. have expertise. We've we've talked to people before who it's like the niche is sitting right there for them because like, yeah. hey man, your job, you use, you know, software, this or that, and you already have experience just from your job. Maybe your job even pay would pay for you to get even further certification in it. So just being sort of aware of what opportunities are there for you to show expertise. Yeah, I want to double click there because sometimes the best opportunity is actually right under your nose. And it's kind of funny. We have people who come in and they're like, I'm thinking of X, Y, and Z. And then we look at them, we're like, okay, these are, you know, they're okay options, but they're very competitive and, you know, and it's going to be hard to kind of break through. And then they mention like, okay, this is what I do for work. And then it's like, wait, hold on there. Like that is actually a great market. That's something that not everyone has expertise in. And it would be much easier to stand out from the crowd. Not to mention they're, again, it's a it's a big market already, you know? So I think that that's so interesting that some people, it seems like they're trying to run away from like who they are, like what, what they've done in sort of like their job, their expertise. Um, and they kind of try and do something totally different, like 180, right? Yeah. And it's like, you should kind of lean into what you have already, you know, kind of spent years working on. And for me, like again, music production, it was very natural for me to do things like headphones because I use headphones every day. I use headphones for mixing, for mastering, for recording, for listening to music. Like, you know, so for me, it was just a very natural segue. And I think other people, they can kind of get a lesson there where maybe it's right under your nose. You know, what do you do for work? What do you do for a living? Um, there may be, you know, an opportunity there. So the next thing we're going to talk about is competitiveness of how do you decide if you can even compete in a niche? Because at the same time, it's like, look, if you want to go into something competitive, that means there's money there. So that's a good thing, but it's a bad thing because it's just, 
it's easier than ever, but it's never been harder than ever. So if you want to stand out, you want to compete, but you're doing your research, you're looking at a niche, what are some things to look at, Kit, in terms of whether it's metrics, whether it's tools like Ahrefs to look at keyword difficulty, what are some things people can use to just get a, like, a taste of like how difficult it would be to compete in a certain niche? Yeah, so a great one. You mentioned Ahrefs. Like, if you go and look at different keywords in your niche, and you don't even have to get scared off by keyword difficulty. Um, it's a mm. whole mix of things that goes in there. But seeing who else is ranking for those terms. If you go into a niche and you're like, man, the first two pages are blog, like established blogs that have thousands of articles, and you're just and and it just page after page of crazy established blogs. Okay. You probably don't, that's that's going to be a little bit competitive, especially to start. Now, it might be that that's where you can kind of niche down and go, okay, but hey, I'm noticing that all these ones are talking about it from this angle, and there's actually this whole other market who uses this, and I can come in there. So actually Googling these different niches, seeing what comes up, Ahrefs lets you do competitor analysis. Okay, who are these websites ranking for them? Because you'll find that for a lot of different niches, um, they're ones you go, oh, I could, in theory, outrank that. And if you're willing to put in the work of putting, you know, I'm going to get 50 content articles, you'll outrank a lot of sites. So looking at them, because you also don't want to Google a term and then there's zero competition. Some people go, oh, this is so yeah. great. Nobody's doing affiliate marketing in this space. And the answer is there's probably a reason for that. So barring that you've made some Gershang discovery, you might want to be cautious because other people probably have found there's not money to be made in affiliate marketing in that space. Yeah, totally agreed. I mean, again, competition should not scare you off. If anything, it is a positive signal that there's money to be made here. Now, obviously, the more competitive something is and the more money there is in that niche, it tends to be more competitive and it means you need to have a higher sort of standard. You need to have um, you know, a bigger brand. You need to have more backlinks. You need to have uh, more of an audience. You need to have better content to compete. I think, you know, Using data like Google Trends, using Ahrefs. So with Ahrefs, one thing I want to say is I was thinking about this uh, the other day where, you know, it is an expensive software, roughly like $99 a month. And ideally, it's more for like businesses who, you know, they continually use it um, to kind of gauge their SEO. And SEO is very important to their business. And, you know, they're always using it for keyword research. I think for most people, you can get so much from Ahrefs with even like a single month of using the software. Uh, you can get a keyword list with like 300 keywords that will keep you busy for years, honestly. Um, and in addition to that, you can do all the research you want within 30 days and you can just get all the data you would need to get off on the right foot. And again, you know, even making like 30 articles will take you probably a year if you're doing it all by yourself and you're really kind of taking your time. You're doing like one article uh, every two weeks, one article a week or so. So I think Ahrefs, even with like one month of using the software, I think you can get so much from that. Um, especially because it has the most accurate data, I think that's another thing. There's other SEO tools out there, but I don't think that they're the data that they're showing you is as good as Ahrefs. And you want to have a lot of truth when it comes to because you're basing your decision off this, right? So you better make sure the tool you're using is probably going to be the best, like number one in the industry. So I when I do a Google search and I'm looking into you know, a certain, whether it's a certain keyword, whether it's a certain product, whether it's a certain niche, I look at the websites that are ranking and most of them tend to be blogs. And this is good because, 
you know, if it's these blogs that are kind of outdated, you know, and they're slow and there's ways to really get an advantage. Like for example, with JetPage, I mean, we have customers who are have brand new domains, zero domain rating, and they're just climbing up and, you know, in less than a year, getting millions of Google search console impressions because their websites are just superior because they're, you know, passing 100% core web vitals and page experience on Google search console, you know, on desktop and mobile 100%, which is, you know, quite a difficult task if you're using WordPress and you're using cheap shared hosting, you know, it's slow. Um, you have to, you know, manually edit your theme to get it to pass like this and that. So there are ways to get legs up on the competition these days. And in one way, I'd say it's never been easier because when I was making my affiliate sites, you know, I was spending so much time, like weeks and months, just setting up the site with all the right plugins, you know, paying for premium plugins, putting it all together, finding the right theme. And it was never quite right. And even then the performance, you know, I didn't have to worry about performance back then because Core Web Vitals was not in existence. Like it wasn't part of the algorithm. Now it is. Page experience is part of the algorithm. Helpful content update. Um, you know, these things are actually tracked by Google inside of Google Search Console. You can see it for yourself. And if your website's not up to par, that's hurting your ranking. Now, on the flip side, if you have all those things passing, then all of a sudden Google is looking at all the ranking um, factors and they're saying, hey, you know, this website, even though it's like kind of new, it's it loads in less than a second. And those blogs that I'm seeing that are filled with so many pop-ups and just bloated JavaScript and these themes are taking like 10 seconds to load. I'm, I'm sure we've all, you know, seen these websites, a lot of like recipe, kitchen blogs, stuff like that. Um, and so there's a way to get a leg up on the competition these days. And so it starts from like, I, th I really think in terms of like the foundation, which is your website from a technical SEO standpoint, I think about all those things first, and then you do your content. Now the content's still the most important thing at the end of the day. So regardless whether you have a website that loads in less than a second, a website that loads in 10 seconds, if you have zero content and you're not sending signals to Google, like, hey, I have 20 new pieces of content that need to be indexed. If you're not frequently publishing, then they have no incentive to have you ranking higher. And especially if you're a new domain. And that's why if you want to get started, you need to start now because domain age is a factor. And if your domain is brand new, it is zero days old, it is zero months old, zero years old. It doesn't look good to the algorithm. You want to have a domain that's been around for years because at least that's one thing that Google doesn't have to worry about. Hey, this is a spammy website that literally just popped up overnight and they just bought this domain. Um, you know, you need to start now so that you can just start aging it, you know, like some wine. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of like you said, where it presents this opportunity now, I do think this is actually a really unique time for affiliate marketing because Google's making so many changes. They're so committed right yep. now to changing what the algorithm looks like. They, they've heard people's complaints that when you go on Google, it's page after page of the same results using just all basically copied stuff, nothing original. So you actually have the opportunity to suddenly go against these big giant dinosaurs who haven't been doing things the right way. And just by virtue of them being that long, there that long, they're still ranking high. But if you start doing things the right way, you can start to catch up and compete. So this is a really big time. And like, like already said, just start now, like start now. Google wants to see your content age for six to nine months. Like yep. start now. Don't wait till everything's perfect. Just, you know, fire up, you know, jet page, you have a site same day and start writing content and get to that 50 article as soon as you can. 
I wish I could have done this. I wish I could have used Jetpage back then when I was doing this because I was making a lot of affiliate sites as well. Like every time I have an idea, I would buy the domain, you know, on something like Namecheap or GoDaddy. That's the first thing you do is like, does the domain, is it available? And, you know, can I get the .com? Can I get the .co? Can I get the .org? And then you purchase it and then you have to set up the web hosting and then you have to set up WordPress and then you have to set up your plugins and themes. And so an idea, you can be really excited about it in the beginning, but then by the time you get to having this uh, spin up WordPress or even before that, you know, just buying the domain, most, most ideas just hit the graveyard as a domain purchase. You know what I mean? Because domains are cheap. They're maybe like, you know, $10 per year, $12 per year. That's easy, but the hard part's actually building the brand, the website, the logo. Um, things are getting easier. I used to, you know, use Fiverr all the time and I still do every now and then, but there's all these tools like Canva that's free and you can make a logo, a really good logo, to be honest. Um, I know most people are not web designers, uh, neither am I, but, you know, you can make a decent logo on Canva for pretty much free. And so I want to move on and I want to double click on what you said about Google making all these updates. We have to prepare people right now. Um, you know, if you're an affiliate marketer, if you're a blogger, if you're someone who's interested in SEO for your business and organic traffic, let's talk about the main Google changes that have happened lately. We did do an episode on the helpful content update, mm -hmm. but let's talk about more of the fundamental, like the eat method of expertise, authority, and trustworthiness that Google factors into the algorithm. Yeah, and I think this is really good because I think when a lot of people, especially beginners, hear SEO, what they actually think most of is on-page SEO, like the little Yoast checker. And that's actually like one of the smallest parts of SEO. Like yeah. it makes you feel good, but you know, the bigger parts is, is you know, like Odie said, EAT, E-A-T, um, expertise, authority, trust. And that's Google looking for those signals in your blog. And obviously it's more challenging because it's it's not as, as clear cut as, hey, have two images, hey, have some external internal links. So they had, you know, we talked, you know, a couple episodes ago about the helpful content update. They also had the big product review update. And they're really trying to see when people are writing this content, is it actually a helpful review? It's something that, you know, Odie's preached for years. And it's saying if you, t if you take the free six-hour affiliate training, goes in writing honest reviews. If you yep. just are selling something, Google's not going to like it. Your readers are not going to like it. And you're, you're not going to succeed. Yeah, let's zoom in there because I think you make a great point that when it comes to your content, and we get these questions a lot, like, do I need to own the product? Do I need to have like firsthand experience? Do I need to have my own photos? Can I just take photos from the internet of this product? And I've never said that, hey, you know, go ahead and just do that. I've always been like, you know, the ideal, let's be honest here, if someone's reading your content, they probably want to see original photos of you actually having experience with the product. Now, Google comes out with this product review update and there's i believe now there's five releases of this five versions and the product review update is directly applicable to affiliate websites and, and the reason why a lot of affiliate sites got you know quote unquote hit or penalized is because their content just didn't meet the standards and honestly you know if you ask me i i don't think that those websites and the content that's kind of lackluster and it's not it doesn't demonstrate firsthand experience it just it's not original you don't have any of your own original photos and videos why should you rank higher than the person who actually does have firsthand experience with the price which is what i did and i couldn't afford all of the products especially to begin with you know when i was in college and I had to start with like the $50 pair of, of Samson headphones. You know what I mean? I couldn't just jump up straight to the $400, you know, Sennheisers and this and that. So when it comes to content, 
the product review updates that they've been doing just the last two years. Again, I think five versions of this have been released that is being stricter about how product review content is ranking or you know i don't know if it's being penalized but the the good content that's meeting the guidelines is getting a boost of some sort over like let's say content spinners auto generated content and let's just be honest here as a human reader when you're doing research and you look at this article that looks like you know it's, it's barely put together you know for human eyes and consumption you know, and it has these photos that are just stock photos rather than actual hands-on experience, like something like Wirecutter, where it's like so in-depth and they even tell you their review criteria. And that's another thing that Google, I believe in the product review update, the helpful content update, they want to know how are you testing these products? What is your sort of, um, you know, what is your sort of procedure for reviewing these things? And I think this is great. You go look at Wirecutter. It's very obvious they spent hours making the content. They spent hours testing the headphones, I mean the products, right? And for me, I, I spent weeks testing the headphones before I would release my review. I wouldn't just listen to it or, you know, I wouldn't even just, you know, just hop on, look at the reviews on Amazon and then just copy and paste that. Like that's very lazy and that's just irresponsible if you ask me. So for me, I'd spend a good week and I'd really write my notes down. I would really listen, you know what I mean? And I'd really try to test them out. I would do all sorts of weird tests too, where I would like stretch the headband and stuff of certain headphones and people cringe because, you know, I was really stretching these things out, like, and it was making people scared. But, you know, I did these things for the consumer so that they can see, hey, this is durable. And look, I'm going to show you, like, I can, I can stretch this out. And so these are things that, you know, it's the way that I did it and I just thought it was always the right way. It's now just catching up from a Google algorithm standpoint. Again, look up product review update from Google. You will see the criteria that they're adding on and mixing in um, to the ranking, you know, signals. And it's things that we've been saying for years, but only now is kind of being enforced. And it also, it will get more sales. Like even if you get, even if you just throw out content that just, you do, you you aren't using AI writing the right way, you're just generating content, hitting go and then throwing whatever's out there. Even if you manage to rank with that and get impressions, you won't get sales with it. So you'll be like, oh great, well I got views, but I'm not actually getting any sales because no one's gonna make a purchase decision from this. And this doing it, you know, you look, keeping, being mindful of the EAT stuff and being like, okay, I'm going to write a review. I'm going to make sure there are pros and cons. I'm going to make sure I answer every question somebody might have about this. Yes. It will take a little bit longer. Okay. Hey, I had to take two weeks to write that article, but in the long run, and that's what you're in business for. You're not, you know, the quickest way to make cash is to get a job. So, if, but if you want to build something sustainable long-term that can really change your life, put that little bit of effort in because also 99% of people don't want to put the effort in. So if you actually do, you'll start gaining a huge uh, advantage. And, and something else I want to say about expertise, and we talked about it a little bit ago about, hey, you can show expertise by writing exhaustively about it. I listened to a great uh, sort of seminar on this, and uh, this SEO expert was talking about, you know, if you have a website that's a small enough niche and you just write every cover every angle about that topic, you can outrank places like CNET or like established places yep. because Google looks at you and goes, all right, well, if anyone's the expert on this specific area, it's this site. Like, oh my God, they have 35 articles on this niche. Exactly. You know, versus the generalist website that has like a million different categories, right? And so I want to, you know, zoom in on the, um, the questions as H2s, that's another tactic that you can actually use where you're answering the frequently asked 
questions about a certain product, a certain service, um, or software, and you're using those as H2 headings inside of your content, like how much does this cost? Is this good for X, you know, this and that. So that's another tactic that I've seen popping up more frequently where you're answering all these frequently asked questions as the H2 headings in your content. That's a really uh, powerful strategy right now. Also, when it comes to helpful content, the main thing to take away from the helpful content update is that you need to make content that is designed for humans, not search engines. And the problem is, I think a lot of people are focusing too much on making content that's just to satisfy a search engine, you know, SEO, but they're not really focused on like, hey, are people getting value from this? Are people leaving satisfied? Are people getting the answers to the questions that they have rather than, again, you know, you're just aiming to hit like a 1,000 word word count. And that's actually something that Google just really does not care about so much. There's articles that have 300 words that are outranking uh, content that has 2,000 plus words. And that used to be an old thing, again, with, you know, things like the Yoast checklist with the on-page SEO, which is still useful, right? They have useful guidelines, but it's not really going to make or break. It's still good to have these, like an SEO checklist of some sort. And I believe I do have an SEO checklist uh, in the free course, but these things are not as important as the big picture, which is the the content itself, the quality of the content, how much care and thought you put into it. And now what I like though, is that these updates are penalizing those other websites that are lazy and that are piggybacking off original content. Because there are websites where they literally just copy and pasted like the next ranking, the next higher up ranking blog that's like in the rankings, maybe one or two. They just literally almost copy and paste. And I'm so glad those guys are getting penalized because that yeah. is just, you know, that was going on for a long time too. And site owners were complaining. They're like, hey, this this site stole my content and they're outranking me and this and that. And so I'm really glad that the hammers kind of coming down on these auto-generated content spinner sites, low effort, low quality you know, at yeah. the end of the day, things are moving towards rewarding the people who are willing to put in the work and stay on it. And that's, you know, that really is the hard part when you're looking at your analytics and you're seeing, you know, your content's getting like zero views, one view. See, that's the hard part. But once you start getting views, it really does become addictive. You know, once you start seeing that ramp up, it gets easier to do the work because you know I, the results. And I think you can also sort of feel comforted that you're moving with the stream. Like Google, if you're, you go, I'm going to start doing this the right way. Like before, you know, you'd see the same people on, on social media. Be like, hey, here's how you can quickly make $10,000 from X, Y, or Z. And, and they're employing all these black hat techniques. And I still see yeah. the same people over the past month. Come, oh, I, I don't care what Google says. Like they, they can't catch me. And what you find is every update, there was a September core update. What did it do? It hit another chunk of sites. And so every time there's a new update, like when Google trains, it's like six figure engineers from Stanford on a problem they are going to figure it out and they're going to catch you. But you're not going to get away with it forever. And so it should give beginners a lot of hope that go, okay, I don't have to compete against people who are doing it this sort of scammy black hat way because if yep. I do it the right way, Google is going to reward me. Yeah, if you stick to white hat methods, which I've always preached and I've always done and I've never touched you know any sort of black hat SEO methods or black hat affiliate marketing, you know, at the end of the day, you can go to sleep at night, not worry that your business is going to vanish overnight from some Google algorithm update or core update. That's kind of the plus side is when you build your business the right way, you have this clean conscience where, you know, again, you don't have to worry about these things negatively affecting you as much as people who are really 
finding a loophole and this is becoming less and less common you know it used to be before you could do keyword stuffing and this and that to just quickly jump up the rankings i mean you know that was one of the first things google squashed because it was being exploited and you know obviously it was very easy to do um that just doesn't fly anymore if anything it gets you in trouble when you do try and attempt that these days so we're running out on time here but i hope that this episode was valuable and useful to you guys listening maybe we'll jump into the product review update a little more uh in another episode because that one is a really important one for affiliate marketers specifically and it has caused a lot of um changes in rankings but we've seen some of our customers actually get a boost because they uh were following the right you know sort of strategies And so, you know, that's something that we might go into in another episode. So we're wrapping up this episode. The last thing I want to say for podcast sponsorship, we have had companies reach out to us. We do have some sponsors lined up for some future episodes. If you are interested, you can email support at odiproductions.com and we'll get back to you. So that wraps up this week's episode. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week and we'll catch you again next time.